to some in the East, it was the anti-fascist protective rampart, helping to retain educated and skilled citizens and keeping them from defecting to the West. We knew it as the Berlin Wall. It was a barrier erected by humans like the Great Wall of China, like the three-deep border fence between San Diego, California, and Tijuana, Mexico. Other barriers we build are not as tangible. We erect barriers between races and social classes, between the educated and uneducated. And our passage from Genesis talks about God erecting a barrier. We won't get into the theological implications of that today. But that's, that's the story that Genesis gives us as it attempts to explain the human barrier of language. Now this chapter, Genesis 11, follows the story in 9 and 10 of the great flood. Noah, Mrs. Noah, and their three sons and daughters-in-law all spoke the same language as they populated the earth. But then we humans got too arrogant again. And like Adam and Eve, nine chapters earlier, we were trying to become like God. To thwart this, the Lord confused the language of all the earth, we're told, and scattered abroad the people. But jump forth hundreds of years. The story of Pentecost in Acts 2 shows God reversing the story of the Tower of Babel. Think about that. The disciples could understand each other, of course, but around Jerusalem were people from other languages, uh, from other nations, speaking probably those languages that were purported to have been created after the Babel fiasco. Jesus had told the disciples to wait for it. And I wonder if they were as anxious for the Holy Spirit as a dog with a treat on its nose. Have you ever seen this? And the master saying, wait, wait. And the dog's just anticipating, so excited. And on this day, Pentecost, Jesus says, okay. And then suddenly... From heaven, there came a rush, like a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Well, I have to ask, I've probably asked this before, but what would we think if that happened in this room? What would you, what would you feel if you started seeing something that looked like tongues of flame and it's resting on the people in front of you and the people behind you? And then you sense it in you. 
Would you be scared, concerned, ecstatic? Would you run away screaming and never come back? Well, I think we can be at ease. Not because this could never happen again, but the reason I think it's unlikely is because the Spirit is already here. Since you walked into this room, whatever door you came in, the silent Spirit has been weaving in and out among us, drawing us together, breaking down mental and emotional and spiritual barriers, reaching deeply into our souls to remind us of God's love and power and strength, renewing us for life and service with Jesus Christ. You may notice that we always have candles burning when we worship. It's not just tradition. Let the flames remind us and signify for us God's Holy Spirit. We can thank the ushers and the acolytes for helping us to remember that the Spirit is constantly present among us. Several weeks ago, the candles were left lit accidentally after everyone left the sanctuary. What that suggests to me has nothing to do with fire and insurance. What that suggests to me is that even when we're not here, the Spirit is here and has moved with us out beyond the barriers even of these walls. We go our separate ways to speak our separate languages, and yet the Spirit still is alive within us to give us light and hope and energy to proclaim the good news about Jesus Christ. All those people in Jerusalem had heard the sound like the wind. And they gathered to see what it was. And then they heard the disciples speaking boldly about God's deeds of power. One commentator talked about how different it was that first, in the beginning part of the chapter, the disciples are gathered together in a house, in a room. And then, suddenly... Even those barriers are gone, and they're out among the people. Now, some people said, those guys must be drunk, because it doesn't make sense. It didn't make sense. But Peter used that to segue into a sermon. It was too early in the day for that, he said, but now that we have your attention, let me tell you something really amazing. You are experiencing a fulfillment of Joel's prophecy from hundreds of years ago that everyone, everyone will receive the Spirit of God. And now we have, said Peter. And now we have too, say I. Some of us don't know it. Some of us 
don't believe it. Some of us don't care. And even if we do know it, we're unsure about what to do with it. And that's one reason you received a set of stapled papers when you came in through the door this morning. Everybody rattle their papers a little bit to let me know you got them. Okay, good. Way to go, ushers. Well, as you can see at the top, this is called a spiritual gifts assessment. As you mark your preferences, as you go through it, mark your preferences, and then sort of score it at the end, the assessment will help, will determine for you, will help you determine what your top three spiritual gifts are. Now, they call these from several different lists that are in the New Testament. And our deacons completed this assessment earlier this year as a part of their restructuring into team ministries that you heard about last week at the church and conference. Now, the slight caveat that tools like this will not explain you fully, I can recommend some counselors for that. But it may give you deeper insight into the person God has created you to be and therefore what God has created you to do. In the magazine, Just Between Us, a lay minister in the Lutheran Church wrote that her greatest spiritual discovery was that every Christian has the responsibility to preach the gospel. But she was talking about that about this in terms of barriers. She said to the question, with the many demands of ministry, how did you determine your priorities? She said the first step was coming to a biblical understanding of ministry. Up to this point, I had no ministry boundaries. I thought I was the one who needed to do whatever needed to be done in the congregation. I had no foundation to say yes or no, so I said yes to everything. As a result, I didn't enjoy ministry. Then she continues, based on Acts 16, I realized the simple and clear mission. God has called us to preach the gospel to people. God has called us to preach the gospel to people. Once I grasped this definition of ministry, I began the process of recognizing my personal ministry. One of the first things I discovered was that this personal ministry is not synonymous with congregational ministry. Rather, it is the unique life to which I have been called. Jackie Osh. My question then is, to whom am I responsible to preach the gospel? And that's the question that I want you to ask yourselves as well. To whom am I responsible for preaching the gospel? Each of us has a language that others can understand. We talk about legalese. We talk about medicalese. 
There may be insurance ease or vehicle ease. When I started dating my husband, I had to learn broadcast ease. And he had to expand his theologies. Our linguistic abilities point us toward those to whom we can preach the gospel. Each of us. I'm not talking about just the pastor here. Now, another asset for preaching the gospel is simply our attitude. P.J. O'Rourke says bachelor cooking is a matter of attitude. If you think of it as setting fire to things and making a mess, it's fun. It's not so much fun if you think of it as dinner. Preaching the gospel is also a matter of attitude. If you think of it as something you have to do, it's not nearly as much fun as if you think of it as setting fire to things and making a mess. This passage from Acts and the whole Bible direct us towards setting fire to the world and fanning the flame of God's Holy Spirit. The ways that you can do that are unique to you. When you came into the sanctuary this morning, you received something besides the spiritual gifts inventory. Did you? Can you pull it out? Hold up what you received? Okay. Now put it at an appropriate reading distance for you. And I want us to read the top line together as if you're proclaiming it to someone on the opposite side of the sanctuary. Are you ready? The Spirit is alive at Calvary. That's really good. Now, why do you think that I gave you two pins, we gave you two pins instead of one? Exactly. So you can share the other one with with someone else. One is a reminder to you that the Spirit is alive at Calvary. The other one is to give away. It's an easy first step for you to break down a barrier, to preach the gospel in a very quiet way, and to fan the flame of the Spirit to make it burst forth into another person's life. Here's an example. You're standing in line at the grocery store or some store and someone in front of you has used a a credit card. Need a pen? No, you keep it. You might need it later. Let it go. See, that was so easy. Leave it in the mailbox for your letter carrier. Enclose it with a thank you note. Give it to someone at the office who seems lost. Leave it on a co-worker's desk. Forget it at your friend's house. Just don't keep it. The gospel is not ours to throw inside a desk drawer and pull out only when we need it to sign a piece of paper. The gospel is as helpful for everyday living as a toothbrush, as sustaining for our spirits 
as food and rest are for our bodies. The gospel is for sharing, unlike a toothbrush. As you heard, if you were here at last week's church and conference, or perhaps you read the newsletter, this congregation is already seeing results from our perseverance in Bible study and prayer and worship. We are being given more opportunities to preach the gospel in new and exciting ways. So, here we go. Let's set fire to things and make a mess. Need a match? Let's pray. Holy breath, Holy Spirit, you who move so lightly on wave and wind, you who can be as mighty as a hurricane, as strong as a tornado, as quiet as breath, draw near. Give us light. Give us hope. Give us spirit. Let us be strong and tender simultaneously, even as you are. Let us be fierce in defending the gospel and humble in our understanding of its completeness. We thank you for all those who have defended the gospel and for those who have defended freedom. Holy God, only you understand the complete sacrifice of life. We feel it in some way. We feel it in grief. We feel it in sadness. We feel it in our hope for peace. But you, O oh God, sense loss even more deeply. We pray for those families who continue to experience the grief of loss as well. And Lord, we remember all those who have sacrificed for you and for freedom. Lord, we pray that you would help us to live our lives thankfully, knowing how precious each moment is. We pray that you would let us join your disciples in wonder and let us become the kind of people they were real, awed, full, and capable, despite weakness, of great witness. When we lose our way, guide us. When we are winded, invigorate us. When we go too far on too little, befriend us. Never let us be far from our source in you. We pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.